Father, we're thankful that you are good and gracious and giving God, and you're a forgiving God. And you don't hold out on us, you don't put us in probation. The moment we turn to return, you come running for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught us that about our Heavenly Father. So many times we, in our flesh, see you, Father God, as cold and indifferent and distant. But Lord Jesus, you came to change that way of thinking. But you are the God who seeks to save those that are lost. Gave us a story of the woman that lost the corn and she sought for it till she found it. The sheep that had strayed away and that shepherd looked for it till he found it. And then you told us about the son. As soon as the son turned back toward the father, the father comes running. Thank you that that's who you are. Lord, I pray that we would adjust our feelings to go with the facts. Lord, that our emotions would line up with your truth and that our life would line up with your truth. And so instead of continuing to run from you, we'd start running to you because that's where our well-being is found. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So... I, uh, a few weeks ago, talked about uh, this business of feelings, just so you know us guys aren't comfortable with that. And we don't, somebody asks you, how does that make you feel? I don't even want to talk about it. Don't even ask me how that makes me feel. We don't talk about our feelings that much. It's interesting, though, we have a passage in the scripture that someone is trying to describe how God feels and they have a hard time doing it. We have one word in the scripture that when you look at the different Bible translations, they have all different words for this one word. It's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 17 and it's describing how God was feeling about the children of Israel and how when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and he brings them up to the promised land and, and, and they let their feelings uh, direct them away <laughs> from the promises. Uh, how did God feel about them? And so we have this one verse of Scripture, uh, Hebrews 3.17. I'll read out of the, the New King James when I'm preaching. I read out of all, other, all kinds of other translations during the week. But when I'm preaching, I, I, that's some of you are wondering, and that's what I'm reading out of. And it says this, Now with whom was he angry? You ever kind of have problems with the fact that God sometimes get angry. God does get angry sometimes. He gets angry when he sees his children uh, uh, tormented and uh, uh, in all sorts of situations that you didn't need to get into or when people do, do things to you. He loves us and so he gets angry with those situations. But here in this passage of scripture he says he was angry with his children. And so now with whom was he angry 40 years? Now, the other translations that I've, I've looked at that verse, here's some, what some of them say. Grieved, provoked, indignant, displeased, wearied, or offended. And so it's like the Bible translators, as they're trying to figure out that word, how to describe God, they're not, you know, they're not even in agreement with how God feels about 
his children. Uh, well, it's kind of interesting because sometimes we wonder, how does God feel about me? And that's kind of how that, that, that's not where I intended on this message to go today, but that's kind of how God has shifted it today. For the truth of the matter is, what you feel is really what you believe. So we could ask the question, how do you think God feels about you? Because how you think God feels about you will determine how you respond to God. Because if you think that he is cold and indifferent and kind of distant and, and just waiting for you to get, get right, and, and, and if you don't, he's going to smack you. And, and if you have that mentality of God, then you don't understand. And this is why Jesus comes along and says, no, you, you need to understand he's a good father. He's a good father. And, and so when we look at this passage of Scripture, it says that God was angry with his children. But then another passage, another translation says he was grieved. Now, I tell you that that's two different things with me. That's two different things with me, right? Can you, can you relate? So, like, if, you're, if your kids are in trouble, they, they are, uh, uh, maybe they're sick, or maybe they've made a bad decision, or, or kind of headed down a, a different direction, that grieves you, doesn't it, parents? Are y'all with me this morning? All right. The more you respond, the better I preach. And so, <laughs> if, if y'all don't respond, and this sermon goes, it's your fault. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's when I grieve. When when my kids are in a bad way, I grieve. When your kids in the, are in a bad way, I just get angry. No, that's just not really exact. But sometimes my kids make me angry, and I know it's two different feelings. And yet we have different translators trying to describe how God feels with these children, and uh, it's kind of interesting to just to, to discuss that. But let's this morning talk about what caused God to feel negative. We can all agree. All translators can agree with that. He had a negative feeling towards his own children, whether it was he was grieved over their condition or that he was angry with their choices, whatever it was, he had a negative feeling. And so what caused that? Well, here's the thing. It happens all the way through the scripture and we see illustration after illustration after illustration. And it is this, when I have the choice of remaining in fellowship and the presence of a good almighty and giving and glorious God, and I choose something else. I choose something else. This is a condition and a position known as sin. I know we don't talk about sin much in churches anymore, especially churches that want to, to fill the building. But here's the thing. We have to talk about sin if we're going to fill the kingdom. We have to talk about it. And so the essence of sin is choosing anything other than God. That's what it is. Choosing anything. And oftentimes our flesh screams out that it wants to be fulfilled. And when our flesh screams out and when we yield to that flesh rather than yielding to a good almighty God, we are in a condition known as sin. And as we live out those actions of in this sin condition or position, when we live out those actions, they are known as sins, plural. Are you with me? So I, I'm either in, in a relationship and fellowship with the Lord or I'm over here in another position in sin. As I am in fellowship with the Father, there are actions in my life that are indicators of my good standing. And then when I'm out of fellowship with the Father, there's also actions that are indicators of my wrong position. Does that make sense? 
Uh, so we have different people in the scriptures that are good uh, illustrations. Adam and Eve was one of them. Adam and Eve, they were, they were in the presence of God. They would fellowship with him daily. God says, all of this is yours. Just leave that tree alone. And what does the enemy come along and do and say, oh, he's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. You really want that tree. You really want that. And so here's, here's the flesh that rises up and, 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 and Eve is tempted and then Adam is tempted. And, and it says, oh, you really want to do this. It will fulfill your innermost desires. It will bring a satisfaction to your soul. So we are uh, going to be talking about for a while the powerful practices of the saved and satisfied. Have you ever been saved but not satisfied? Uh, am I the only one in here that's honest? <laughs> yeah, see, if you've ever asked the question, Lord, is there more to salvation than what I'm experiencing? Can I give you a strong, yes, there is. Because if you have to ask that question, then you're not experiencing all that he has for you. And there's more. And because when you are experiencing all that he has for you, you are satisfied and you are fulfilled. Jesus says, you keep drinking the waters of this, this world and they will just make you more and more thirsty. But I am the well of living water that brings fulfillment. And not only do I flow in you, I'll flow through you. And as I'm flowing through you, you will know what fulfillment is really all about. Amen. So if you've asked that question before, or if you're asking that question right now, is there more to the salvation than what I'm experiencing? If you're having to ask that question, the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, how do I get you there? How do, how do we get into that fullness of what he has to offer? It's very easy and yet very difficult sometimes. And here's the difficulty. It's a war going on within our soul. And here's the easy part. It's just one step. It's found in the presence of God. Intimacy with the Father. You do not have to earn it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to work up to it. It is found through a relationship with Jesus Christ, grace through faith, trusting that God has already fulfilled in you what he promised he would because what Jesus did on the cross, and then resting in the presence of God's acceptance. All right, I'm going to start preaching before I actually start preaching. So let's, let's talk about Adam and Eve. They chose to fulfill the desires of the flesh. The problem is this is the, the great delusion. This is the, the great delusion that you can actually fulfill your flesh by trying to fulfill your flesh. You can't do it. It's a crazy thing. It's Satan will fool you with your own feelings. He's just like, oh, I just know that if I can do that or have that or be that, then I will be satisfied. Here's the truth of the matter is, no, 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 you won't. No, you won't. It's a, it's a lie. It's a, it's a deception that the enemy tries to, to stir up these feelings within you. And, and when you try to fulfill and bring satisfaction into your life by fulfilling those things, it actually leaves you more unfulfilled and greatly dissatisfied. So here's how sin operates. Sin uh, tries to entice us. And, uh, and, and get you to yield to the desires of your flesh. And as you do, it overpromises and undersatisfies. Everybody with me on that? Yeah. It overpromises and undersatisfies. And so what, uh, what sin also does is that every time you try to fulfill that and get more satisfaction out of that, you get less satisfaction. Less satisfaction. So uh, I think ain't nobody in here but us, so let's... Uh, let's <laughs> Actually, it's all on live stream and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
a good friend of mine, he's currently sitting in a penitentiary because he didn't learn his own lesson. He told me this. He said, uh, he said you're going to do what you want to do. You're going to do what you want to do. He's an addict, and uh, I would like to say he was an addict, but the, his life choices have proven over and over again he is an addict. And here's what happens. Uh, he said it this way. The first time that I did methamphetamine. Now, I, I preface this by saying I know that we may have some young ears in the room, but I'm just going to go and say it. Mom and Dad, it's on you now. You can explain it all. He said, just imagine the best sex you've ever had, the best food you've ever eaten, the best fun you've ever enjoyed, the greatest pleasures you've ever felt. Multiply it times thousands, and that's your first hit of methamphetamine. He said, but the next hit won't get you quite there. And so you have to do more to try and get you there, but you never reach the fulfillment of the first hit. That's how flesh operates. That's how sin works. It is always over-promising and under-satisfying. You're always trying to reach, oh, it was so awesome, and, and yet, mm -mm, it ain't ever going to be again. In fact, the payback for that action, that sin, is, is always greater regret and, and, and less satisfied and more unfulfilled and thinking, oh, there is more somewhere, and I'm looking for it anywhere and God says, you're looking for it everywhere but the wrong, but the right place. It's actually found in his presence. So the world is looking for satisfaction, and God says, it's found in me. It's found in me. So in the book of Genesis, in chapter 4, there's a story about Cain and Abel. Most everybody knows the story of Cain and Abel. And let me just kind of sum it up this way. Abel was, uh, 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 he, he brings a, a righteous offering to the Lord. He brings the first fruits to God. Cain brings eventual fruits to God. It's almost like uh, Abel brought the, the first and, and, and Cain brought the leftovers. And in that, Cain's offering was not received by God. Now, we don't know what that looked like, how he knew it wasn't received. But, but his leftovers weren't satisfying to God. And so, what happens with Cain, he gets mad. And so, uh, God speaks to Cain. In chapter 4, verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Can I just, can I just uh, help everyone understand this? That word angry, it means, uh, it, it's just so powerful if you catch this. Why is your flesh rising up? Why is your flesh rising up? See, I, we have a little acronym we use often around here. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, those are all feelings of the flesh, and you're going to try and satisfy them with a bad decision. Halt, stop. Stop and get in the presence of God and seek Him in His direction, and then through prayer and His presence, you can make a spiritual decision rather than a fleshly one. Amen? So we need to halt when your flesh is rising up. Cain, why are you angry? He says, if you do good, will you not be accepted? Chapter 4, verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, catch this, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Oh, it's so good. 
That little short passage of Scripture out there is so powerful. We have so many life lessons in that little verse of Scripture because he's, God himself is speaking to a man and says, hey, by the way, when your flesh rises, rises up and you have the desire to open the door and let it on in, guess what? It's going to try and take over the house. I don't know if y'all have ever had stuff get in your house and wasn't supposed to be in the house. Uh, like you ever had a, the door open and a bird fly in? It's incredibly hard to get a bird out of your house. You, you wouldn't think so. Or maybe you remember Christmas vacation with the squirrel. But anyway, that's a whole nother. Uh, so here's what God is saying. Cain, it's easier to keep it out than to get it out. Because when it comes in, it wants to take over. That's exactly how sin operates. Just He says, Cain, I need you to imagine this condition of sin as a monster. And it won't in your house. Keep the door closed. Shut the front door. <laughs> keep, uh, keep it closed. Because once it gets in, it's here to stay. It's harder to, to, to get it out than it is to keep it out. We must recognize that, that, that the powerful practices of the saved and satisfied are to recognize true pleasure is found in his presence. Amen? So we have a lot of Bible lessons of different people who got it wrong. We have Esau. Esau, he was hungry, comes in from hunting. Must have been a bad hunter. He didn't get anything. And uh, he comes in and he's hungry. And his brother, who uh, was a farmer, has, uh, has raised some lentils and has cooked, and I guess a pretty good cook. And Esau said, I will give you my birthright in order for this meal. Let me just explain to you again. God has his promises, and we choose something else other than his promises. God has his best, and we choose something less. That's the condition of sin. That is the saying, God, I, I know you're right here with me, and I know that it's all, all good is found in you, but I'm going to choose other ways. I'm going to do something different. And so Esau said, I tell you what, my birthright ain't no good to me anyway. And, and he despised his birthright, the scripture says. And, and, and then there's another real, real struggle word that we have real problems with in the book of Malachi, and it says, Jacob, God loved. Y'all know the rest of it? But Esau, God hated. Wait a minute. You mean God has those kind of negative emotions? That negative? Now, we recognize that he was angry with the children of Israel, and, and sometimes I can be angry with somebody but not hate them. But now we see that it describes God as hating Esau. We should have a problem with that. Because God is a good God, is he not? God is love, is he not? That's straight out of the Bible. God is love. And so now we see a passage where it says God hated one and chose the other. And we struggle with that, but I need you to understand that his hate is not the same kind of hate as you got. His hate is not an emotional disposition of now he's just throwing, you know, kind of like our hate. Now we're just having an emotional response and a rejection. No, that's not how this operates. It is a, it is a different kind of word that we struggle with because it's a God word and we don't get it. But Jacob knew the promises of God and knew they were good. And he said, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get those. Esau said, eh, whatever. I'll take a bowl of soup. I'll take a bowl of soup. And God says, he does not recognize my goodness. I'm going with Jacob. Now, here's how 
some of these words in the Bible stir up our own emotions when it says that God hated Esau. And we struggle with that because we don't quite understand it. And it kind of messes with our theology that, that, that God is Because our theology struggles, don't it? Because our emotions determine our theology. We begin to make de- uh, uh, decisions about God by our feelings, flesh. Because when we started this message, I said, sometimes we feel like God is distant and cold and is standing back with arms folded. Oh, you, you decided to come back now, huh? Well, we're going to have a little probation period. And you're going to have to make sure that you get things right for a season before I fully accept you. That's our feelings. That's not the facts of God's word. Jesus taught us different. He said, no, no, God's a good father. That is the moment that you turn to him, he comes running to you. He teaches us things. And so we struggle with these emotions, but let me just help you out. When, Je- when Jesus says, if you love God, you have to hate your mother and your father. There again, we struggle with that one. We struggle with that one. Is he teaching us to hate? No, he's teaching us to choose. That when they are diametrically opposed and your mother and father, it, it, it should look like I'm choosing God over all other things because that's exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. So as, we're, as you're struggling to go along with my message today, I need you to understand the condition of sin. It's choosing anything other than God to satisfy my soul. And sins are the actions of trying to satisfy my soul with things other than God. Everybody with me? Uh, So we have some people in the Bible that did that. Esau did that. Uh, We see the nation of Israel. This is who is God angry with? Who was he angry with? He was angry with the nation of Israel who there's God's promises. You can just walk right into them. You have to do it by faith, though. And if you walk right right into those promises, they're yours for the having. And they said, I don't think we can. God said, there's no we in it. I told you to do it. I told you I'm giving it to you. And they said, we can't. And so God was angry with them because they didn't believe him. There's others, though, in the scriptures that show us the right way. There's Joseph in Egypt. And Joseph uh, was, was rising up in the political scheme of things there in Egypt. And, and there was a second in command named Potiphar. And he had a smoking hot wife that was enticed by Jacob. I mean, Joseph. And she said, Joseph, I want you to come sleep with me. And he said, how can I sin against God and do that? See, he he got it right. He got it right. He said, I will not choose anything to fulfill my flesh that is opposed to God. And every day she's just wearing him down. She's trying to wear him down. But he reminded himself, no, that's not going to be good for my health. No, that's not going to be good for my relationships. No, he said, that won't be good with my God. That won't be good with my God. And so she snatches a hold of his clothes and he he did what all of us should learn how to do. He ran. And he got out of there. And, of course, things didn't go well for him because she lied and accused him of things that he didn't do. And, and he goes to prison over it. But guess what? God uses everything that Satan intends for evil. He will flip it over on its head for good and elevated him up. And he was blessed, 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 blessed. Same way with Daniel. Daniel, there you are in Babylon. All the pleasures of this world are yours for the heaven. He says, no, I'll choose to please my God. And he was blessed, 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 blessed. Amen. And now we have a Savior that when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts out by saying, let me show you how it's done, boys. He fasts for 40 days and the enemy comes along and says, I know you're hungry. 
I know your flesh is crying out to be fulfilled. That's what he's saying. See, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I know your flesh is crying out. You haven't eaten a thing in 40 days, Jesus. Why don't you use your God-given abilities to turn those stones into bread? That way your flesh can be fulfilled. What did Jesus say? No, I choose God. He said, man does not live by bread alone, fulfilling of the flesh, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, how do you know the words that proceed out of the mouth? Let's get so close that we can hear his whisper. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, I will not fulfill this flesh by means other than fellowship with my father. And we need to understand this. We need to recognize that sometimes good sermons aren't just uh, encouragement and, and, and how to just go out there and three cheers for Jesus. No, sometimes we need to say, look, you got a choice to make. You got a choice to make. Do you really want to find fulfillment in this world? Then don't look for it in this world. Look for it in our Lord. That's where you find it. All right. So I want you to turn with me. As, as, no, before you turn, I want you to see it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. He's saying basically, Cain, sin wants to have dominion over you. But you should take dominion over it. That's what he says. Now, Romans chapter 6, we're going to find out a little bit more about that. The powerful practices of the saved and satisfied. I want you to be satisfied in your salvation. The greatest uh, news in the world today is that God's desire to be glorified and man's desire to be satisfied are not at odds. But God is most glorified in man when man is most satisfied in him. And man is most satisfied in God when God is most glorified in him. What does all that mean? It means this. When God gets the greatest glory in my life, I am the most fulfilled and satisfied. I am the most happy. I'm the most joyful. I'm the most uh, at ease. And so here in Romans chapter 6, just cutting straight to the point, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, this is verse 9, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Did you catch that word? Cain, sin wants to take dominion over you. You should take dominion over it. Who's going to win here? If you let him in the house, if you open the door, well, guess what? You're going to have a problem on your hands because it's going to try and take over. But Cain, you should take dominion over it. Now, Jesus comes along that we might be able to take dominion over it. And so here we have this passage of Scripture that he conquered death. So death no longer has dominion over Jesus. Well, here's some good news. I am in Jesus. Amen. That's the position I chose. Do you want to live over here in the position of sin? No, I want to live over here in the position of saved. You with me? You want to live over here in the fulfilling of the flesh? Oh, I want to be over here with fellowship with the Father. Because that's where true fulfillment is found. So Jesus defeated death. And guess what? I'm in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead. I've been using the word reckon my whole life. I'm from Athens, Texas. You're going to go to lunch, I reckon. 
<laughs> no, we know that this verse, this word is a different use of the word reckon. And, uh, you know, somebody say, you, uh, you're going to go to lunch? Yeah, I reckon. I'm fixing to. <laughs> Some people in other states don't even understand what I'm saying when I say I'm fixing to. But uh, this word reckon means do the math. Do the math. Do the figuring. Understand the truth and the facts. Here's another way. When you have a checkbook, which I don't know that people have that little uh, register anymore on their checkbooks. I don't even have checks anymore. But when you take and you take the account, what do you do at the end of the month? That's exactly it. Reconcile. You reconcile. You do the figuring. And when, the, when you reconcile, what you're saying is, okay, all the numbers line up, and this is where I stand. Here's what he says. If you are in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus has taken victory over sin. Sin has not, have, does not have dominion over him, and you are in him. Therefore, do the math. Sin does not have victory over you either. Amen. Are you with me? Does that get you excited? It gets me excited. Because let's just keep reading. Likewise, verse 11, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Amen? If sin reigns in your mortal body, guess what? You let it. You let it. That's the only reason why it would. Because it doesn't have the authority to do that. You open the door. You open the door. So come on in. Likewise, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. I hope that you're catching this. It says you've got a choice. You can live in fellowship with a father or you can kind of start over here drifting. Kind of like the nation of Israel. Oh, I remember what, how good it was over there in Egypt. Oh, it was good. It was good. You were a slave in Egypt. Oh, I remember the leeks and onions. What? Has anybody in here ever craved for a leek? <laughs> an onion uh, I mean that's just weird to me I'm like oh I remember some steak I remember no they, they, they desired the things of the previous life and God says but I'm promising you, you something better they're like eh I want to go back over and over I want to go back and so he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Amen? If you're a Christian, you ought to recognize the fact that you're alive from the dead. Yeah. Amen? Death no longer has a grip on you. you, know, you you're not under God's judgment anymore. You're under his grace. And so look at verse 14. I have it highlighted, underlined, circled, three different colors. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. And now the rest of the verse says this. For you are not under law, but under grace. Go back to Cain. Cain, if you do right, will you not be accepted? Let me help you understand something. That is law. 
That is law. Cain did not have an opportunity. He had an opportunity to live by faith, but it was pre-cross. He, he, Cain, if you do right, will you not be accepted? Let me tell you, living by the law is trying to do God's ways without God in it. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Cain, if you will not do right, will you not be accepted? So many people are trying to work their way up to God and be accepted by God when God says, no, no, you are the accepted in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You are the accepted in the beloved. And so this is the, the, the grace that God offers us. Don't continue to try and fulfill through the works of the flesh the righteousness of God. It don't work. That is law. But here is grace. Jesus has already fulfilled God's holy requirements. He has already fulfilled all the law. Amen? And if you are here today and you are not in Christ Jesus, don't live here today without making sure you get that nailed down. Do not leave here today without knowing that you know that you know that you are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Have you ever been saved? Have you ever said, Lord, I... I've been trying to do things to fulfill this life apart from you, but I'm ready to come to you. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And then here, here's what I need you to understand, saved, those of you who are in, or in Christ Jesus. Rest in his grace. Don't work for his acceptance. Rest in his acceptance. That's understanding of grace. And so as this flesh rises up and says, I need to be fulfilled. I need you to, to do this and, and do that. Here's what you need to tell your flesh. Shut the front door. I'm not letting you in. Because when I try to fulfill my flesh through the works of the flesh, what I actually do is I hinder and I hurt the fellowship with the Father. What is the powerful practice of the saved and satisfied? No matter what this body, this mind, these emotions, these desires try to tell you, so many times they're being manipulated by the enemy. It's just like a, if the store downtown got broken into and there's, there's three people involved in the crime. You got two guys that break into the store. This is a true story. It happened in the post office one time. There was some guys broke into the post office, sold, stole a whole bunch of stuff, uh, checks and things, uh, they found out that there was actually not two guys that broke in. There was a third guy who was already in. It was an inside job. It was an inside job. Guess what? You have the world and the devil, and he's trying to bring you down. But you also got another problem. There's this flesh that opens the door. Y'all come on in. Let's, let's, let's steal this man's joy. Let's steal his peace. Let's steal his blessings. And we are a willing accomplice so many times. When we open the door, God says, no, no, you're letting the enemy lie to you. He overpromises and underfulfills. But I always make sure my promises are true and I overfulfill. That's called his grace. It's overpayment. Just think about it. You got a little debt. You owe 10 bucks and I come down and drop a million down there. That ought to pay for it. I wish I had a million to drop down on there. I'd do it for you, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of how his grace, Jesus paid it all 
and then some. Amen. Amen. The powerful practice of a fulfilled, powerful saint is recognized it's all found in the presence of God. It's not a to-do list of things that you need to get done in order to be completely satisfied and fulfilled. No, you work out of fulfillment and satisfaction. Peace of God is found in the presence of God. The power of God is found in the presence of God. The prosperity of God is found in the presence of God. Your soul will be fulfilled and satisfied and, and not wanting the trash of this world because you're full. Oh, I'm so full in Christ Jesus. But also know this, the pleasures of this world are found in the presence of God. Pleasures, not of the world, the pleasures of God are found in the presence of God. Here, here's how the pleasures of the world work. It's, it, I learned this at Trinity Valley Community College in microeconomics class, and it's called the law of diminishing returns. And what does that mean? It means when I eat that first slice of coconut pie, oh, the pleasures are good. Amen? But that second slice, it's a little less. Slice number three, a little less. Slice number four, and I can do it, I promise you. <laughs> I'm starting to get a little less satisfied. And it's the way with the world, overpromise and underfulfilled. Father God, I thank you that you always fulfill your promises. And then you even do more than we can ever ask or think. I'm a big thinker, God. And I ask some big requests that you say, I can do more. You are a big God. And you are good God I pray that we as your people would not try to fulfill our flesh with the things of this world but that we would continue to draw near to the Lord with the goodness of your acceptance Lord I thank you that in Christ Jesus I am accepted I'm not working to be acceptable. I am accepted. That's why you've told us in the book of Hebrews that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. It's all about you, Grace, Lord. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to have a time of invitation. Whatever God's doing in your heart, would you just immediately respond? Don't wait for three verses into the song and we're about to close out and say, oh, I guess they stop an invitation. Know that it, invitation is always going on at Sand Spring. And the Lord's always doing the work. But as God is drawing, I pray that you'd move right now. Whatever it be. If you recognize today that you are not in Christ Jesus, man, today's the day to do that. Or if you recognize that, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm not fully satisfied. Well, we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. Spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Our altar team's at the front corners and the altar's open and, and you move as he moves you and be responsible to respond as we sing. <laughs>